Here we go. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food. The authorized version says that there may be meat in my house. Prove me herewith, authorized version. Test me in this, NIV. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, His most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind, that their perception of what I say will be received and applied as you intend, and upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I'll be your transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. May this be a life-changing word. And a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably gathered. I'm going to preach to you on tithing. You might like to know that when I write books, I don't go to the publisher and say, would you publish a book for me? I let them come to me. And... I did, however, make an exception. Many years ago, I phoned my publisher here in London, and I said, I want to write a book on tithing. And there was silence at the other end of the line. I said, yeah, I, I'm serious. I want to write a book on tithing. Well, they said, we'll think about it, let you know. He called back a week later and said, if we were to publish your book on tithing, would you buy 1,000 copies? I said, yes, okay, well then I think we'll do it. You see, they were so convinced that it would be a financial disaster that they wanted me to buy a thousand copies that they'd get their money back, the cost of the book. That's how much faith they had. Well, I got Billy Graham to endorse it, Sir Fred Catherwood, John Stott, and eventually the Archbishop of Canterbury and now some uh, 40 years later, uh, it's still in print. In America, I think it's gone through 30 reprints. And uh, this has been a book that I wanted to write because soon after we moved to Britain years ago, I discovered for some reason that most British Christians don't tithe. And I felt that something should be done about it. Now, before we get further into it, I want to assume you know nothing and introduce it as though it's the first time you've ever heard the idea. First, the word tithe means one-tenth. 
And according to Malachi, it is possible to rob God. And how is that possible? It's because in Leviticus 27 verse 30, God said, the tithe is the Lord's. In other words, it's His. As soon as you earn money, a tenth of it is His. So, if you earn 10 pounds, then one pound is already the Lord's. He puts you on your honor to give that one pound to Him. If you earn 10,000 pounds, then 1,000 pounds is the Lord's. But He puts you on your honor to see that He gets that 1,000 pounds. If you earn a million pounds, then 100,000 pounds is the Lord's. And it puts you on your honor to give Him the 50,000 pounds. Now, if you earn 10,000 pounds and you give Him 800 pounds, then you have robbed Him of 200 pounds. If you've earned 100,000 pounds and you give Him 5,000 pounds, you've robbed Him of 5,000 pounds because He claims the one-tenth as His. And so the way you could rob God is when you don't give Him the full, whole, one-tenth of your income. Now, I need to tell you that I had a head start in this teaching. I was taught it by my father. Many years ago, on my 10th birthday, I had my first job because my father said on his 10th birthday, his first job was selling a newspaper called Grit. I don't know if there's any American, any Americans here today? Have you heard of Grit? Out of Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Well, uh, my dad said what was good enough for him was good enough for me. And I, on my 10th birthday, we got the first supply of Grit newspapers. And I went around the neighborhood, knocked on doors, and sold all the issues I had. So we, I brought all the money, have it on the dining room table, all the money here. And then how much money we have to send to Williamsport. And as best as I recall, I had earned that first time one dollar. But all the change there. At that point, my father took his, put his finger on a dime, which is 10 cents, and says, this, my son, is the Lord's. I said, no, that is mine. <laughs> no, R.T., this is the Lord's. I said, no, that's mine. I earned it. I made it. I want it. That's not fair. Sorry, son. This is the Lord's. Dad won. God won. I won. And that was my introduction to tithing. But now to fast forward, many years later, uh, when Louise and I were married, uh, we didn't tithe in our early days of our marriage uh, because I was so in debt. It's not her fault, it's my fault. I owed a lot of money, and uh, we probably should have waited a couple years to get buried. Uh, but in those days, I thought Jesus was coming any day. 
And I had waited a long time. That's what you're thinking. And so we got married. We didn't tithe because I thought the most reasonable thing I can do is to pay my debts. That would be God-honoring. And then we would tithe, and the Lord would understand that. The problem was that the longer we put off tithing, we were more in debt. And two years later, we were more in debt than ever. I was real discouraged one day. never will forget it. I was working then as a salesman. And I came in one day, I hadn't made a sale, and I was so discouraged, we were in debt. And, and my grandmother had given me this lovely big Bible, white Bible, on the dining room table, and it was open. And I was so discouraged, I said, Lord, please give me a word. Please give me a word. I'm going to walk over to that table, and wherever it's open to, I'm just going to look right down on it, and that's going to be your word for me. I did, and my eyes fell right on these words, will a man rob God? That was not what I wanted. <laughs> I closed the Bible, laid it down, went and turned on the TV that we owed for. That was not the way I wanted to be blessed, but I couldn't shake it off. However, some two years later, I started tithing, still in debt. In fact, I started double tithing. No one is required to do that. It's just something I did. We weren't out of debt in two weeks. It took about a, a couple years. We eventually got out of debt. And I can tell you now, we've been married, we'll be 56 years, the 28th of this month. We, well, <laughs> I should have known. Bruce, what did you do? Put the applause sign up, and they're all supposed to clap at a certain point. Well, I'll tell you the next time you're supposed to clap. No, we've, anyway, for 52, 53 years, we have not been in debt, don't owe anybody anything. We've stayed out of debt for all these years. I've learned my lesson, uh, but I've also learned this, that you can't outgive the Lord. And uh, a number of years ago, I was out fishing with a friend of mine. His name is James H. Milby. He became a very wealthy man. And when we moved to England originally back in 1973, he paid every penny of our tuition at Oxford, paid it all, and uh, he supported us that way. And I never will forget... I was out fishing with him one day. I said, Harlan, tell me something. How come you've been so successful? Because he founded two life insurance companies and had been very, very blessed. I said, how, how did you do it? He said, it's very simple, R.T. When we were first married, my wife Olive and I, we were deep in debt. And I came across this verse, 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. It says, them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor. And he said, we started tithing. Deep in debt, but we started tithing. And he says, we've never looked back. 
And he learned something that I hope that I can get over to you. You just cannot outgive the Lord. And yet, as we say back in the hills of Kentucky, when a fellow says, it ain't the money, it's the principle, it's the money. Voltaire, French atheist, said, when it comes to money, everybody's religion is the same. John Wesley said, the last part of a person to be converted is his wallet. I want to ask the question, why is it some Christians don't tithe? The main reason I've discovered is they haven't been taught. And if it's taught to them, they welcome it. I would say 90% of Christians just need to be taught. And uh, that's what we did at Westminster Chapel. Uh, I never will forget when uh, on our last day there, we had a service for us, a, a farewell service, and different ministers came dressed and said nice things. And at the end of the service, uh, people lined up to say goodbye. And I was amazed how many said to me, thank you for teaching us to tithe. I wouldn't have thought that. Uh, when I was pastor of a church in Fort Lauderdale many years ago, one of the members, his name was Bill Webb, he said, Pastor, can I tell you how we started tithing? I said, tell me. We, they'd come from Detroit, Michigan. He said, 30 years ago, our pastors asked every member to tithe for three months and then forget it. He said, we did, and we've kept it up ever since. The main reason people don't tithe is that they just need to be educated, taught, and show it to you in, in the Bible, which I'm going to do today. But there's another reason some don't tithe. And they think they've found a loophole whereby you don't have to tithe because of the law, the Mosaic law. And the truth is, the reason they take this view, it's a misunderstanding of the law. People jump to a conclusion because Malachi 3.8, well, a man robbed God, was said during the period of the law. The law lasted 1,300 years. And the words, the tithe is the Lord, from Leviticus 27, verse 30, that was in the period of the law, 1,300 years. And they assume because that was the law, and now we're in Christ who fulfilled the law. We're not under the law, therefore we don't tithe. And they miss a very important point. Who do you suppose was the first tither? It wasn't anybody in the period of the law. It was Abraham who lived 400 years before the law. Abraham lived in 1700 B.C., the law came in in 1300 B.C. And so from 1300 B.C. to 33 A.D., you have a, a parenthesis, a bracket in history, the period of the law. And people forget that the first tither, who is also the prime example of the Apostle Paul for what makes a Christian a Christian. In fact, Galatians 3.8 says the gospel was first preached to Abraham. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, everything went back to Abraham. 
He was the prime illustration for the Apostle Paul on the teaching of justification by faith. In fact, you could make a study. All the Christian life needs when it comes to essential doctrine is in the life of Abraham. Well, he was the first tither. And here's the origin. His nephew, Lot, had foolishly pitched his tent toward Sodom. And uh, what happened was that Abraham got caught in a, a crossfire of a war between the king of Sodom and other kings. And Lot was kidnapped. And word got back to Abraham who proceeded to rescue Lot. And in doing so, the success of Abraham was phenomenal. He defeated all the kings with his 318 men. It was phenomenal. And at the end of this great victory, which now Abraham was a supremely wealthy man. A mysterious figure comes in out of the blue. His name is Melchizedek. And Abraham gave a tithe of all that he got to Melchizedek. Why did Abraham do it? Well, God didn't put a pistol to his head. He did it out of such gratitude. He was so thankful. And that's the point we don't tithe because God says, you got to do it. We do it out of gratitude. In fact, the whole doctrine of sanctification is like the P.S. at the end of a letter, whereby we say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. You need to know this. Tithing will not save you. Tithing will not get you to heaven. In fact, it won't even help you. In fact, it could hurt you. You say, well, how could it hurt you? It would hurt you if you thought it helped. Because you would think that doing this is going to endear you to God. Tithing is not what gets you to heaven. You can be a tither, in fact, and go to hell. And you can be a non-tither and go to heaven. Well, that's not fair, R.T. Well, that's just the way it is because we don't get to heaven by our good works. We get to heaven because Jesus died for us on the cross. And so what happened is that when the law came in 400 years after the time of Abraham, because of the transgressions of the people, God did make tithing essential. In fact, you had to do it. It was legal under fear of penalty. In fact, the tithe, because of all the things they had to do, came to 23%. But when Jesus died on the cross and said, it's finished, I mean, you're not under the law anymore. But we go back to Abraham, and we tithe because we're thankful. And how do you suppose Abraham knew to give one-tenth? Because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Jacob was also a tither. There was no law. He gave a tenth. Why? It was the Holy Spirit. That figure was implanted upon the hearts of God's people as a way of supporting the gospel. It's always been that way. But then there are some Christians who simply refuse to tithe. And Dr. O.S. Hawkins put it like this, when the backbone of greed is broken and God's people begin to give what is the Lord's and give hilariously out of a cheerful heart, Revival will not be far away. It's a way of when we start showing how much 
God means to us by our giving to Him voluntarily. It's something happens to your spirit. But now let me take a moment to explain why every Christian should tithe. Reason number one, Jesus endorsed it. This is weighty. You find it in Matthew chapter 23. That's the chapter where Jesus looks at the various views of the Pharisees line by line and picks them to pieces. In fact, it's humorous. You can see why the common people who heard Jesus gladly laughed when He would make fun of the Pharisees. And point by point, He just showed how wrong they were, one after another, until He came to one thing, tithing. On that, Jesus said, you got that right. So tithing was the one thing He endorsed about all the Pharisees, rejected all the other except tithing. And can you imagine where missions would be today had Jesus not said that? So His endorsement of tithing is all you need if this is right. But there's another reason a Christian should tithe. The Apostle Paul assumed it. Now, you've got to remember, Paul was trained in the law. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and he knew the law backwards and forwards. So when it came to the collection of the church, he put it this way, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. You see, that mirrors the tithing principle. This is the amazing thing. It is the fairest system in the world. When you go to Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Waitrose to, to buy a loaf of bread or a pound of minced beef, you pay the same amount that the millionaire pays. He can buy a thousand loaves of bread easier than you can pay for one. Or when you buy petrol, you pay the same amount the millionaire pays. You have to come up with it. He can do it easily. But when it comes to tithing, it's the fairest principle of all. Because all you are told to give is in proportion to your income. And so, you give the one-tenth. You say, well, my one-tenth is so small, the church wouldn't even miss it if I didn't tithe. You know, the problem is with wealthy people, they think that they don't need to tithe because if a man makes 10,000 pounds and gives God 500 pounds, uh, he says, well, that's more than anybody else is giving. And he thinks he's doing more for the church than anybody else. This is missing the major point. When you give, you're not giving to the church, you're giving to the Lord. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He notices. And you need to know something. If you make 10 pounds and you need that 9 pounds or the, all the 10, but you give God his, the 1 pound, that 1 pound is as special and precious in the sight of God as the millionaires because what you gave you give, it, it's a discipline for you. It's not easy. The millionaire can easily give it and many times over. You struggle 
your one-tenth, if you make a thousand pounds and you give one hundred, that's as special to God as the millionaire who gives his hundreds of thousands. In fact, you're more special than the millionaire who only gives part of his tithe. I remember something that happened to me in Fort Lauderdale. One Monday morning, the treasurer came in and said, R.T., would you watch the money? I've got to be out for an hour, and, and all the money that came in on the Sunday was all on the table, and there were all the checks from all the members. And I looked at that, and I thought, do I or don't? And I did something that maybe I shouldn't have done, but I, I couldn't resist it. I went over and looked at all those checks to see who gave. And I was shocked, stunned. I wasn't prepared for this. You know what I found out? That the big givers in the church were the divorcees, the single moms, the widows, and the poor people of Fort Lauderdale. They were the tithers. Those who had higher incomes, the high-profile people, and everybody thought they were the big givers, had given far less. And I sometimes wish I didn't know that. But then it taught me a lesson. I think there might be a pattern throughout the world that the wealthy people rob God, but they think they're doing the church a great favor because they give more than anybody else. In the sight of God, they give less. Remember the little widow in the temple who gave her coin, and she had no idea that Jesus was watching. When we get to heaven, I'd like to see a DVD replay of that. This little widow has no idea anybody sees her. Jesus saw her and said, she has given more than any of those wealthy people because she gave all she had. That coin meant more to God than the thousands of the wealthy people. And you need to know that God knows your income and your frustrations. And when you give Him His one-tenth, for some of you, that's very hard to do. You know, my dad had this view. You could call it a mathematical incredulity. He reckoned that if you give God His one-tenth, the 90% you've got left over and you live on it, will go as far as the 100% you started out with. In fact, he used to say, I honestly think it goes further. God has a way of doing that. You just give him what is his. And my dad used to say, you cannot outgive the Lord. Well, it's all like this, said Paul. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And God loves a cheerful giver. When you give that one-tenth and you're kind of angry about it, God doesn't like that. Give it cheerfully. And just think, when He puts you on your honor to live on the 90%, and a little tip for you, if you haven't found this out, you need to look at that one-tenth as the first thing you put aside, take it off the top, and then live on the 
You see, many Christians say, I will pay the light, phone, water, petrol. Then what's left? Many times there's nothing left. And you say, well, God understands. <laughs> but the truth is, consider that one-tenth hot money. Get rid of it. Because you'll spend it, and then God won't get it. Get rid of it. Give it to God. Make sure He gets it. And when it's put, bring the whole tithe. You know what that means? That if you miss Sunday going to church, you say, well, I won't tithe today because I'm not going to church today. Big mistake. When you come back a week later, you give double for the week you lost. So that at the end of the, litter, of the, end of the year, you can show receipts. We're giving one-tenth to God. So why tithe? Jesus endorsed it. Paul assumed it. Third, what it will do for the work of God, that there will be food in my house, meat. When you come to church, you want to be fed. And you leave feeling, oh, I wouldn't have missed that for anything in the world today. Fed, nourished, there, there may be meat. And when you come to church, you don't want milk, you want meat, you want good stuff. And one guarantee that there'll be meat in the house is that everybody ties. That means that the bills are paid, staff is paid, electricity bill is paid. You realize, don't you, that before you became a Christian, somebody paid the bills in the years past, but now the torch is passed to you. But the meat can also refer to this. I reckon that if all church members tithe, their preacher would preach better. He'd have good meat. You want your pastor and all those who preach here to preach better? Tithe. There'll be meat, and you'll be blessed. And it's not that they work harder or prepare harder. There's an anointing here because all the church is doing it, that there may be meat in my house. You've heard the little poem, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Reason number four, you should tithe, what it will do for God in heaven. It brings Him honor. It brings Him glory. This is why I want to tithe, because I know by tithing, it honors God. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. I don't see myself as giving to the church at all. And when you know, it will glorify God, because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And it takes faith to tithe. Because you could easily use it. We could all use it. But when by faith you resolve to live on 90%, that brings honor and glory to God. And reason number five, and I could have put this first, perhaps some preachers would, but I put it last. You should tithe because of what it will do for you. In fact, at both the natural level and spiritual level, Prove me with this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This would be at the natural level. You can't outgive the Lord, but at the spiritual level, it will do something for your spirit. We had a member of my church in Fort Lauderdale. His name was Bob Walker. And 
few months after I'm there, he made a comment to me because he knew I was preaching on tithing some. And uh, he said, well, I can tell you right now, Pastor, I give $5 a week and that's it. I said, fine. He said, well, you know, if everybody gave $5 a week, you'd have a lot more money here. I didn't argue with you. A year or so later, he said to me, guess what? Tell me. We've started tithing. Really? Well, good for you. He says, would you like to hear the results? Yeah. He said, we haven't missed it. That was his testimony. We haven't missed it. He was so sure that if they tithe, it would hurt them financially. And he said, we've decided to live on 90% and give one-tenth. He said, what has amazed us, we haven't missed it. That was his testimony. And then, lo and behold, I began to see him on Sunday nights. The Christians that come to church on Sunday night, they're the ones that are really taking things seriously. And he started coming on Wednesday nights. It all started when he started tithing, did something for his spirit. He became more spiritual, and we actually made him a deacon. What it will do for you at the natural level, at the spiritual level. But the man I was named after, I, have to have, I need to tell you this story, was Dr. R.T. Williams. My father named me after his favorite preacher who went by his initials, R.T. That's why I've gone by R.T. all my life. And R.T. Williams told the story of a millionaire in that denomination who made a million dollars one year, gave the church a hundred thousand dollars and had receipts to prove it. And after that, went bankrupt, lost everything. And his friends and relatives came along and said, well, I'll bet you wish you hadn't tithed. He said, oh, you're completely wrong. That money that I tithed is the only amount I kept because that went to the storehouse in heaven. And he knew that if he hadn't tithed, when he went bankrupt, he would have lost everything. <laughs> it all would have gone. Because he tithed, at least 100,000 went to heaven. Any level of obedience affects the whole. And so you're not bound by the law. As a matter of fact, as I said, it won't get you to heaven. It won't even help. Let me make some general observations before I close. Uh, people often ask the question, in fact, in my little book, Tithing, now called Gift of Giving over here, they w I have a, at the end of the book, ten questions, I think it was ten, most frequently asked. And what do you suppose is the first question everybody asks? I bet you've asked it already in your mind. Is it the gross or the net? That's what they want to know. Don't want to give him too much, you know. The answer is, like it or not, the gross. You see, your gross pay, you're getting the benefit. What is deducted goes to your health insurance, other benefits. It's all for you. Some is just taken from you, but it benefits you. So you tithe the gross. And you see, it's, it's the minimum.
it's the minimum. Uh, I've had people say to me, well, you know, all of, all of the money belongs to God. Uh, some years ago, a, a well-known layman here in Britain uh, wrote a book against, not a book, he wrote an article in a Christian magazine, British Christian magazine, on why you don't need to tithe because all, all of my money is God's. And you, that's just the minimum. That's just the beginning. You should give much more than the tithe because all my money is God's. Well, I, I ran into him. And uh, we actually became friends. I said, could I ask you a question? Your view that tithing is just the minimum? Do you tithe? Let me put it to you this way. If you got all your receipts for what you gave in the last year, would it show at least you did give at least 10%? You say, that's just the beginning. I just want you to tell me that you did give tenth. All that you gave did come up to one-tenth, right? He looked up at the sky and looked down at the ground. He said, no, I haven't even given a tenth. And yet that article that he wrote helped people all over not to tithe anymore. Did damage by that. And yet he himself, they always say tithing's the minimum. Those who say that, they don't even come up to the minimum. The truth is, you can give above the tithe. As a matter of fact, Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's that? Ask any rabbi. It was the local synagogue. You give your tithe to your own local church where you go. I make sure I give my tithe to my church. What I give above the tithe is called offering. Give it to the Gideons, Billy Graham, missionaries, whatever you want to do. I make sure that my tithe goes to my church. And above the tithe, I give elsewhere. And as I say, I double tithe. You don't have to do that. I do. I can tell you this, you can't outgive the Lord. It's very interesting. Did you know that there's no place in the Bible where there is an attempt to prove the existence of God? Have you ever thought about that? Wouldn't you think that in God's book, at least there'd be something in here that proves that He exists? Not a word, just in the beginning, God. No hint of proving God. Theologians do that. Thomas Aquinas had his cosmological proof of God, teleological proof of God, and some ontological proof of God. The Bible doesn't bother. The theologians just preach to the choir when they're doing this. Only once, and the nearest he comes to proving his existence is in Malachi chapter 3. And listen to what God says. He says, bring the whole tithe that there may be meat in my house. Prove me. Prove me. The nearest he comes. Prove me by tithing. And then says God, watch what I do. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it. 
The only time he comes close to proving his existence. Tithe. Watch what he does. Well, Dr. W.A. Criswell, pastor of First Baptist Dallas many years, told this story of a pastor who had 150 members. And uh, somebody came up to him, well, let me ask you a question, pastor. You've got 150 members. How many of your church members tithe? He said, 150. Really? 150 members, 150 tithers? He said, oh, yes. He said, about 50 of them give it to God. He takes it from the rest. <laughs> God has a way of car breaks down, all kinds of things go wrong. I used to have a deacon in Fort Lauderdale who always said, if you don't tithe, you, he'll get it anyway. The problem is the church doesn't get it. He takes it from you. And yet some people will take any reverse as a hint they don't have to tithe. I had a lady write me a letter and say, Dr. Kendall, I thought you might like to know, I started tithing. The very next week, I get an, a bill from the Inland Revenue for 700 pounds. And the conclusion was, well, God didn't mean for me to tithe after all. You see, if you make a commitment to tithe, you can expect the devil to let obstacles come, anything to divert you, talk you out of it. Now, when you make the commitment from this day, the tithe is the Lord's. He trusts me to give it to him. It's my way of saying thank you, thank you, thank you. There will be no tithing in heaven. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you may regret a lot of the ways you used your money. But you won't regret any amount you gave to the Lord. John Bunyan, who's famous for the book Pilgrim's Progress, wrote a poem. You probably didn't know about this poem. It goes like this. There was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. When I was preaching this in Durban, South Africa, right in the middle of the sermon, I thought, what am I going to do? How do you end a sermon like this? You can't give an appeal to say everybody that's going to tithe from now on to stand because that might imply they hadn't been tithing. Or those who don't stand will be felt embarrassed. And so there's no, you're in a no-win situation. Can't give an appeal after this sermon. But I came up with one way to do it. I said, tithing won't get you to heaven. But what will get you to heaven? And I ask you now, whoever you are, first time here or the hundredth time, do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And there's only one answer. Give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. You don't want to go there. What comes to your mind? What immediately comes to your mind? God says, why should I let you in? Is your instant reaction, well, I've, I've, I've done a, a lot of good, and I've tried to live a good life. I, I, I can think, well, I think God would let me in. 
And I have to say to you, if it did not cross your mind that the way you get to heaven is because Jesus died for you on the cross, that's the only way you get to heaven. If you didn't say that in your mind, if, it, if that didn't come to you, you're not in good shape. In fact, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. But we can sort that out right now. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. Don't say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. If you gave the wrong answer a while ago to yourself, God knows what you said. You need to pray this right now. Here goes. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life.